uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 4, obviously, um, for those of us that have been here the past few weeks. We're picking up in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Um, I'm going to read from verse 1, just because that's where we've been. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we read, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Over the past several weeks, we've been going through this beginning portion of chapter 4. We've seen Paul refer to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. We know that to be his humility. The fact that Paul had a theology that taught no matter what the circumstance might be, God is divinely sovereign over it, seeking to use painful circumstance, joyful circumstance, times of uncertainty or times of certainty, times of tears or times of joy. God is using all of that for the sake of giving us as Christians a platform to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've seen multiple times in Ephesians here, he says that it is through God's grace he has had the mystery of Jesus Christ given to him to share to us Gentiles. We have that mystery of Jesus Christ given to us to share to other Gentiles, other unbelieving Gentiles. And that with Paul, God's grace poured out so much in abundance that it met with ultimately two imprisonments, not to mention all the shipwrecks and punishments that he's gotten in multiple cities over his missionary journeys, but ultimately led to his death. God's grace gave him that. He was a prisoner of the Lord. And as a prisoner of the Lord, as someone blessed with the gospel, blessed with the opportunity to preach it, blessed with the opportunity to love this church, he begged them to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, asking that they, use low, that they walk in lowliness and gentleness. Again, lowliness being hum- another word for humility. Gentleness is self-explanatory. Long-suffering being patience. Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He has harped for a long time in the book of Ephesians on this concept of there has always been hostility between us and God, and because of that, also hostility between Jew and Gentile, the world is a fallen place. We are one week away from the election. I'm sure we can all, with resounding oneness in our voice, say people want to eat each other apart. There is no such thing as peace if it's by our power. Prime example, 2020. But that what that should do is the lack of peace in and of ourself should be a stark contrast to what the church has. And that's Christ himself as our peace, unifying us in the Holy Spirit that we might walk with these gifts, being able to have someone spit in your face in the midst of the church 
and you use gentleness, lowliness, long-suffering and patiently enduring with one another no matter what the circumstance might be, no matter what the, dis- the disagreement might be, no matter what the hostility might be, that we squash these things because our utmost priority is the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Jesus didn't just save you from punishment. He redeemed you into life. Changed lives. Walking in unity with one another. Walking in love with one another. That when people look at a church, it should not, they should not be able to, the unbelieving world should not be able to look into a church and say, because of the way they act, I do not believe that they think there is one Father over all, in all, through all. That there is one Holy Spirit that leads them in the hope of the future as one body that they believe in one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom they have a united faith and they are baptized into public acknowledgement, public declaration. People should look at the church and see the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace that reflects our theology of the oneness of who God is and the oneness of the body and our faith and our hope in Him, that He is actively working and involved in us leading us to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We have been in this passage for multiple weeks now, this Ephesians 1, uh, 4 through 6, and again, the big picture being this. A church who had converted from their pagan false gods to faith were panicking because the apostle that managed to lead them to the Lord was now in prison, and, it did, and nothing ever looks good when Rome has you in prison. And he says, stop. Don't get involved in that. Take courage. Come to the Lord. Have boldness before the Lord, because he loves you. And because he loves you, don't just barge in in front of him. Bar- walk up to him boldly and confidently with one voice as a church, unified not just a bunch of people. There's a beauty to the fact that I can look out and and be able to expect Chris to be able to walk up here and be comfortable getting teary-eyed before a holy God with the voice of all of the saints behind him. Realistically, living in the country we live in, you know, we, we aren't in what we think is much need of God as other places with more persecution. And because of that, I think the power of God working through a church unified in voice, unified in prayer, unified in service, unified in standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ tends to not register to us as much. It doesn't register to us as much having a faithful man in the church be able to stand up and lead us all with one voice in prayer over someone who's passing when we live in a culture that if you have enough money to throw at it, you can fix it yourself. He's saying, no, church, don't get in that business because there's always going to be a trial that looks bigger than God's faithfulness. No, humble your hearts, love one another, walk in unity, and know God is sovereign and loves you. And now he says, but to each one of us grace was given. 
We've seen him stressing the need for spiritual unity, obviously. If, if you have listened to any of the sermons over the past couple weeks, honestly, any of the sermons in Ephesians, there's been this beautiful, in the midst of COVID, going through the book of Ephesians, going through really any of Paul's letters, there's this beautiful opportunity that comes up a lot for a pastor to be bold and say, being an active, participating member of a church, not a bump on the log, that manages to come once a week and sit on a pew, but an active, loving member of a community is a gift of God's grace, and to deny it or neglect it or be careless or forget about it is sinful. There's a beauty in the fact that through COVID and, the, and politics and a million and one reasons to not be an active part of a church, it's beautiful to be able to have an opportunity as a pastor to say, Bible says it's important, do it. but he doesn't want to harp on that so that we get so, we, we can be one of two extremes. You can be so inwardly focused that you neglect that unity. And so Paul's been warning of that, so therefore I've been warning of that because it's what we've been going through. However, now he makes a related detour from the communal aspect so he doesn't re- neglect the personal aspect. Again, as we've been going through Ephesians, there's been a lot of bouncing back and forth between you and your personal relationship with Christ and the church and our unity in our personal relationship with Christ. There's both. Churches tend to oftentimes kind of bounce back and forth. For a Christian to neglect the communal health of the Christian walk is to choose to live in sin. I mean, it's blunt, it's frank, but it's there. For you to be at a church for any length of time, consider yourself a member and it not be important to you to be actively engaged in the communal health. I am not saying that you have to be the person who's so outgoing you're on the stage every single week leading people in prayer or reading scripture or preaching. No, we are given gifts for a reason. We'll get into that in a minute. But what I am saying is for you to be a part of a body and not care for the membership and not want to participate in making sure the membership keeps its single eye on the Redeemer and the gospel, that's sin. But the other extreme, the other extreme is just as dangerous. For churches to teach a theology that does not call out for members to walk in personal faith to Jesus Christ. I've had on more than one occasion met a believer who talks about coming to faith later in life because they grew up in a church that told them, you're going to heaven, you're a believer because you're a part of this church. You're born in this church, raised in this church. Nothing to do with that. That's false. That's heresy. None of that's in scripture. Avoid those churches like the plague. You know, Ryan, I love you to death. I love seeing you. Ethan, love seeing you. Mason, love seeing you. Cameron, love seeing you. Pit boys, love seeing you. Lillian, Emma, and Abby are running around out there. I love seeing them. If you are here with a parent, I know there's a little bit of a difference with the front row and Cameron because y'all and Mason because y'all are older now. But like, if you are here with a parent, do not ever let anyone tell you you grew up in church so you're good. You're not. The personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing that enables you heaven. It's the only thing that enables you peace. It's the only thing that enables you unity with the saints. It takes knowing Jesus is not a stranger. He is your Lord and Savior. There's a danger that comes with churches. Again, I cannot tell you the amount of times I have conversations with people that their faith journey is the church they grew up in. Hate to break it to you that's not going to be a well done, my good and faithful servant. 
that's going to be a depart from me. I never knew you. We've got to be honest about that. There is certainly one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism through which we all live in peace. I'm I'm not neglecting that. Paul didn't neglect that. But he did say, having gone through all this, do not neglect the unity. Do not neglect a community walking of worthiness in the calling to which you have been called. He also says, but, to each one of you, but, Chris, but, Kim, but, Louis, but, Phyllis. It would be, it's the equivalent of me getting up here and saying for weeks on end, guys, we have to love one another. God looks at us as one community. But, Kelly, you and your personal relationship with him is also precious. It should be an encouragement and a challenge to us. We are responsible, the challenge being we are responsible for our personal response to the gospel for the health of the church while also understanding we have a uniquely precious place in God's eye. There's a challenge in this. If you do not actively have a relationship with Christ where he is everything to you, you cannot help the church. You can't. That's a challenge. To be a part of a church where there is, where you are a part of that body, where you are a healthy member, where you are a healthy arm or a healthy leg or healthy ears or a healthy mouth, you have to first and foremost have that good, deep, deepening at least, relationship. Christ and you have to be you. Christ has to be your brother. Hebrews says he's proud to be able to say so. That's the challenge. The beauty of it, the encouragement of it is, yes, this is one body that God looks at, but out of this one body, he knows every single hair on Chris's head. And he knows Catherine, he knows everything you're wrestling with. And he cherishes that knowledge. Chris, Kim, he knows everything that you could... He knows more that's going wrong with your life than you know. More that you could be struggling with than you're even aware is present. There is something precious to the fact that God cherishes Kimberly. Again, what is the theology he's been teaching throughout chapter 2 and 3? I think end of chapter 2. He's building a holy temple. And you, again, chapter 2 says, were without hope and without God in the world. Christ made himself your peace because Mason, without you, his holy temple would be missing a brick. And God cannot dwell in less than perfection. The idea of church unity and diversity is also present in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a couple of those passages in a minute. Just as, the, just as in the Corinthian church, the Ephesians needed to learn to love God through their own unique giftedness and calling. Meanwhile, turning back to the community to effectively serve him alongside one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 14. We're going to get to the previous verses in a bit, but this is recapping on what we've been in in Ephesians in regards to church unity. He says, the human body has many 
many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. God harps on this. Do not be an apathetic churchgoer. There is no such thing. No such thing as apathy in the church body. However, there is also the beauty of unity, or of, of, of uniqueness in the church body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, there are diverse, diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. So that's a prime example of what we've been going through here in Ephesians. We are now hitting the part of there are diversity in this and that and that and this. However, before getting there, he says, there's uh, one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Look, there is absolutely oneness that unifies us, but it also unifies us to then prepare us to serve in our uniqueness. The manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You might be given a beautiful heart of prayer where it is just in. Now, I hesitate to say that as if it's just a, a special giftingness. Every believer is called to prayer. But what I'm saying, you might be given a unique faithfulness or a unique generosity or a unique teaching ability or a unique evangelism or a unique servanthood. I don't know what your gift is. It is not just so you can have it. It is given to each one for the profit of all. I've had one too many pastors tell me in the journey of starting a church, and I've done it too, but in the journey of, journey of, of start, the journey of starting a church, how many years you go also being the one scrubbing toilets. I'm willing to do that if I have to. The beauty of this is there's beautiful saints that are willing to do so. I'm not saying you've been given the gift of scrubbing toilets. What I am saying is you've been given the gift of humble servanthood. That should challenge us all. It benefits you. It should challenge you to do the same. These manifestations, for one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same, uh, to, by the same Spirit. Another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. I'm not going to get into each and every one of these because it would be an entire sermon in and of itself, if not multiple. There's a few of these that were what we consider sign gifts, tongues being one of them. The, interprets of tongue, interpret, the interpreting of tongues being another one that were very crucial for a church that needed something to authenticate and validate the Holy Spirit being at work within them. That's no longer necessary. We believe those have ceased. But what, the point is the same thing. God equips his church, by the same Spirit working every single one of these things for the profit of all. 
God has perfectly and intentionally established a unique work within us. It's not only so we can have our own invaluable place in his work of the coming kingdom, but also that we can be a blessing to one another. And again, this is where I want to point this specific note because this is where churches can take a passage like this and absolutely ignore what it's teaching because they want to bicker over the details. Nothing in this passage indicates, indicates prideful privilege or better believers, but God's generous work through us by the Holy Spirit's determination. Verse 11, but one of the same, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. I get up here with the beauty of getting to preach. I love that. I cherish it. I do it fearfully because the Holy Spirit has given it to me. It is his authority that has allowed it to do so, not because there's anything special in and of myself. And I should fearfully do it carefully because it's supposed to be for your profit, not for my profit. To aid in the community, not aid in my own personal wealth. Here in Ephesians, getting back to Ephesians, Paul points towards Christ as deserving the credit for our gifting, according to the measure of Christ's gift. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There is a uniqueness to you and your role in the church. There is a uniqueness to you and your faith. There is a uniqueness to you and your walk and your involvement in this unified community. And Christ deserves the credit. It's according to his sacrifice. It's according to the measure of his grace. It's according to the fact that for a while, the Father condemned him and turned his back on him so that he can suffer your eternal punishment and gift you. Bless you. Paul even saw his imprisonment for the privilege of being a messenger of the mystery of Christ to the great grace, grace of God, which was given to me for you. You don't have to turn there, but in chapter 3, verse 2, starting in verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. Paul understood, even in my imprisonment, the fact that I get to get up here and say, hey, for a long time you had no hope in God, but now you have freedom, redemption, and importance to God. It's only by the grace of Christ that I can say that. It's only because the Lord has, for some reason, loved me enough to allow me to do that. We should feel grateful and special for the unique grace God has given you. He has, intentional, he has an intentional purpose for your walk. Again, Ephesians 2. We know this passage very, very well. 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You've done nothing to earn your salvation. God has given it to you as grace. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are special. Don't ever let yourself believe you're not. You are unique. Don't ever let God, don't let, ever let anything tell you you're not. God cherishes you in his body. Ephesians 2 made it clear that our giftedness, that our giftedness leads only to eternal condemnation and hostility towards one another. Obviously, we just covered verses 8 through 10, but if you go back up to Ephesians 2, chapter 1, 
It's the story of without Christ. Without Christ, everything we could ever do, even the most generous act of our hearts, leads only to condemnation and death because all we want to do in and of ourselves, even with all of our talents and all of the grace that God gives us, is just his creation. Is We design towards our own condemnation. His, his theology explained that through Christ, this part of life, our life has been cut away and we have a new essential value with God. And then he implements an Old Testament passage here. Using biblical theology to support the idea of Christ's ascended glory leading to our giftedness. He says, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Many, including myself, believe that this is a modified quotation of Psalm 68, 18. Um, while others think it's just a more general summary of the entirety of Psalm 68. I don't really, I, I, I'm not with Paul. I can't ask him what he's doing here. But Psalm 68, verses 17 and 18, this is reading from the NLT. Uh, the psalmist writes, Surrounded by the unnumbered thousands of chariots, the Lord came from Mount Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended to the heights, you led a crowd of captives. You received gifts from the people, even those who rebelled against you. Now the Lord God will live among us there. That verse 18, with the, there's a few things they say would have been modified. Obviously, you can just compare and contrast with your works. But where it says, when you ascended to the heights, you led a, cap, a group of captives. He says, and now here it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Uh, and then you received gifts from the people. It says, and it gave gifts to men. This is the closest psalm we could figure it being. But what is the theology of that psalm teaching? Paul is saying that psalm is teaching a theology that relates to Christ perfectly. Psalm 68 tells the story of a victorious God deserving the blessing of conquering nation. It teaches that the wickedness of the nations led to their punishment and surrender before God, laying gifts at his feet. When you read Psalm 68, and this is very important, Old Testament theology, we tend to neglect the fact that a very just God could condemn and overthrow and demolish the nations, and they deserved it. Oftentimes it's hard to read a psalm rejoicing in how God wipes out a people group and how wonderful that is, and we go, well, how's that a loving God? And it's, well, they deserved it. He wasn't doing anything wrong there. What Psalm 68 teaches is Psalm 68 teaches this beautiful song of a worthy, loving, holy God looking at the wickedness of nations that blasphemed him, hated him, and persecuted his people. And through his divine militaristic power, thousands of chariots at his command, through him the wickedness of these nations is punished, leading them to surrender Goods, gifts, love, service, sacrifice, and then in the same way, it also teaches of the blessing of Israel, the vessel through which he works and receives glory. If you look at Psalm 68, it teaches not only the psalm of how worthy God is as this leader, as this God, as this ruler who wipes out the wicked nations, who lay the spoils at his feet in some sort of repentantness, whatever that might be, at the same time, it also pictures a chosen people, Israel, being blessed with the gifts of God as a byproduct of their obedience and service to him. Yes, the direct Psalm 68 might say, they lay their gifts at your feet, but we know what comes as a byproduct of being children of God. 
his chosen people, his obedient vessels, you receive blessing as well. He's taking the idea behind this psalm, he's taking this psalm in particular and pointing at Christ who has led his captives, us, the church, out of their captivity, our sin, and into freedom, our redemption. When he ascended on high, Jesus Christ is currently ascended in heaven with God right now. Doing so, completing the glory of his earthly mission, he led captivity captive. He led us as captives out of our captivity, and he has given us gifts. Just as he led us into promise, he blesses us through his glory and his love as his chosen people. Why can Christ bless us? Because he is the God who ascended on high and has conquered every captor and has the freedom to give gifts beyond measure. It's only through the glory of the ascended Christ, the resurrected King, that we are blessed with the gifts that allow for us to serve within the church. Without him, we are nothing, but through him we are given a new purpose and a calling within our communities, strengthened by him to glorify him. The next time you wonder, can I love our church? Can I serve our church? Can I be involved in our church? Should I love somebody in our church? Should I get out of my comfort zone to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace, to exercise lowliness, to exercise gentleness, to exercise long-suffering, to exercise perseverance with one another? to look like one God, one Father, one Lord, one Holy Spirit, one hope, one baptism, one faith, one body. The next time there's a, remember, you do not deserve it. Rather, a king with all militaristic authority and power has given you the spoils of his victory because he loves you because you are precious. Yes, maintain church unity. Maintain church unity because there's one God, one Lord, one Holy Spirit. Maintain church unity because there's one body. Maintain church unity because there's one faith, one hope, one baptism. But also maintain church unity because before time began, Mary... God loved you dearly. That's why this is important. That's why we're here. As we gather in this text today, a few things I want us to note, and I'll go through this quickly, but as Christians, we need to understand we have an invaluable purpose within this church. I'm not talking being here six days a week. That neglects evangelism. That neglects being in the world, loving the world, to try and share the gospel with the world. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying be here six days a week. But what I am saying is God looks down at his community, his one community, one body, led by the authority of one Holy Spirit with one son as the head, but no particular member within the body can be neglected or treated as less valuable. This should challenge the way we look at others as well as ourselves within the church. It should. You are invaluable here. If we have a lofty understanding of our gifts and value within the body, we should be called to humble repentance and service. 
and submission to Christ. There's nothing much more gross than a celebrity pastor. I mean, I think we could all agree with that. It's just a really good example. There's nothing more disgusting than a pastor who's really proud of himself. And I think there's a beautiful reason for why. Because he's been, giving, he's been given more responsibility than the rest of us. That's honest. It's not for his sake. It's not for my sake. It's just that's the way it is. For me to have a lofty, self-focused pride in myself and my own role in this church would be gross. I would want somebody to call me out if I was an arrogant jerk because of being a pastor here. If we look at ourselves as having little value, we need to call out to God that he encourage us and show us our value. Honestly, to be a part of a community where you just sit there and think, it's one thing to think you're lucky to be here because you are. You know, you're lucky, it's the gr- not lucky, it's blessed by the grace of God that we have this community. But to look at yourself as I don't provide anything, reach out for help because you are precious and invaluable. Even if, unfortunately, it gets ignored. In either position, we have fallen into the danger of not seeing our gifts as coming from Christ. I mean, honestly, in our hearts, if we are just here because I don't have anything to really plug into, I just, whatever, there's a danger in that. You have fallen out of the understanding that Christ has loved you dearly and has given you a gift. And for us to be boastful and arrogant in our gift means we have not returned to the humble submission of Jesus Christ as our leader. And that lastly, we need to remember Christ as the ascended Savior who rules over all creation. He is the one who conquered our captor, sin and death, and he has given us not only freedom, but generous gifts. The Apostle Paul would not have had a clue how to communicate to Drew that he's been given the gift of being able to play electric guitar, so use it on a Sunday. He wouldn't have known that. There's some giftedness that you're not going to open your Bible and say, oh, that's my gift. They would have had no clue what it was like to clean bathrooms to the extent that we do it. They would have no clue what it was like to, uh, to, Robbie Pitts is a prime example talking to him just the other day, and he left his house. I went to hang out with them, and he left his house to go jump a car battery by Linda, uh, Linda Smith over at uh, some parking lot somewhere. That kind of humble servanthood. Paul wouldn't have known how to write that, but what Paul does say is you've been given a gift. And gifts are reflected in passionately loving the Savior who has blessed you with the community. And we need to take time, as we always do, um, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. If you have never responded to the message of the gospel again, it is that our God and Father has loved you so dearly that the Son had an obedient, humble sacrifice to pay to purchase you. Lay your sin down and turn to Him. You can never be loved more than He's loved you. And for the rest of us, we have a place in the kingdom of God to make it just about us. 
is to pervert it and make it something that make it something sinful. No, it's about a unified community walking in one body. But at the same time, that also means a very specific individual place in God's eye when he looks at you. You are precious. You are precious, and he has given you gifts beyond your, ma- beyond your measure, beyond what you are capable of doing. Because he wants you to love the community he loves. So let's take a moment to realign our focus, church, as we should every day of every week, every moment of every day, but especially when we gather together as saints in public worship. Let's take a moment to reflect on our hearts and reprioritize some stuff so that we acknowledge the risen and ascended King who has given you generous gifts that you can live in a beautiful community. And let's just make sure we are right with him. Let's take a moment. God, we thank you for who you are again in your wonderful, sovereign glory that we might know you in Christ for your sacrifice which brings us into unity with you, into redemption, and into community with one another. And we thank you that as the conqueror of our captors, you have led us not only into freedom but have given us a generous share of your spoils gifting us to live and love and serve in this community. We know service can look like many different things. And we ask that you lead us to not only know how you have chosen each one of us individually to be a part of the body but that we might selflessly with humble hearts generously serve and love where you have placed us for your glory not our own may we serve you and may the gospel take the number one place of priority in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love each and every one of you. Again, um, just a quick reminder, if you are, uh, if you do have a kid that would like one of these, they're on that little window way, you know, where the other sheets are as you're leaving. Um, feel free to grab one or don't. Like I said, I didn't order them. They just kind of came to us. But um, it's something you're supposed to be able to fold up and put in the shoebox just to kind of Give your, chance, your kid a chance to talk to uh, the kid that's receiving the present. 
I mean, I, I, I don't care if you're an adult and want to fill one out, do it. But <laughs> um, let's go and be Jesus this week.